Part Three of Last Enemy by H. Beam Piper, read by Mark Nelson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Martian room, fifteen stories down, was a big place, occupying almost half of the floor space of one corner tower. It had been fitted to resemble one of the ruined buildings of the ancient and vanished race of Mars, who were the ancestors of Terran humanity. One whole side of the room was a gigantic cinesolitograph screen, on which the gully desolation of Martian landscape was projected. In the course of about two hours, the scene changed from sunrise through daylight and night to sunrise again. It was high noon when they entered and found a table. By the time they had finished their dinner, the night was ending and the first glow of dawn was tinting the distant hills. They sat for a while, watching the light grow stronger, then got up and left the table. There were five men at a table near them. They had come in before the stars had grown dim and the waiters were just bringing their first dishes. Two were assassins, and the other three were of a breed Verkan Vall had learned to recognize on any timeline the arrogant, cocksure, ambitious, leftist politician, who knows what is best for everybody better than anybody else does, and who is convinced that he is inescapably right and that whoever differs with him is not only an ignoramus but a venal scoundrel as well. One was a beefy man in a gold-laced, cream-colored dress tunic. He had thick lips and a too-ready laugh. Another was a rather monkish-looking young man, who spoke earnestly and rolled his eyes upward, as though at some celestial vision. The third had the faint powdering of gray in his black hair, which was, among the Acorneb people, almost the only indication of advanced age. "'Of course it is! The whole thing is a fraud!' the monkish young man was saying angrily. "'But we can't prove it!' "'Oh, Zirzob here can prove anything, if you give him time,' the beefy one laughed. "'The trouble is, there isn't too much time. We know that that communication was a fake, prearranged by the volitionalists, with Dr. Harnosh and this Delona of Hadron as their tools. They fed the whole thing to that idiot boy hypnotically, in advance, and then, on a signal, he began typing out his spurious communication.' And then, of course, Delona and this assassin of hers run off somewhere together, so that we'd be blamed with discarnating or abducting them, and so that they wouldn't be able to testify about the communication on a lie detector." A sudden, happy smile touched Verkan Vall's eyes. He caught each of his assassins by an arm. "'Marnik, cover my back,' he ordered. "'Olderzon, cover everybody at the table. Come on.' Then he stepped forward, halting between the chairs of the young man and the man with the gray hair, and facing the beefy man in the light tunic. "'You!' he barked. "'I mean you!' The beefy man stopped laughing and stared at him, then sprang to his feet. His hand, streaking toward his left armpit, stopped and dropped to his side as Olirzen aimed a pistol at him. The others sat motionless. "'You,' Verkan Vall continued, are a complete, deliberate, malicious, and unmitigated liar. The Lady Delona of Hadron is a scientist of integrity, incapable of falsifying her experimental work. What's more, her father is one of my best friends. In his name, and in hers, I demand a full retraction of the slanderous statements you have just made." 
Do you know who I am? the beefy one shouted. I know what you are, Verkenval shouted back. Like most ancient languages, the Acorneb speech included an elaborate, delicately shaded, and utterly vile vocabulary of abuse. Verkenval culled from it judiciously and at length. And if I don't make myself understood verbally, we'll go down to the object level, he added, snatching a bowl of soup from in front of the monkish-looking young man and throwing it across the table. The soup was a dark brown, almost black. It contained bits of meat and mushrooms and slices of hard-boiled egg, and yellow Martian rock lichen. It produced, on the light tunic, a most spectacular effect. For a moment Verkenval was afraid the fellow would have an apoplectic stroke, or an epileptic fit. Mastering himself, however, he bowed jerkily. "'Marnark of Bashad,' he identified himself. When and where can my friends consult yours? Lord Virzal of Verkan, the paratimer bowed back. Your friends can negotiate with mine here and now. I am represented by these gentlemen assassins. I won't submit my friends to the indignity of negotiating with them, Marnark retorted. I insist that you be represented by persons of your own quality and mine. Oh, you do, O'Learsen broke in. Well, is your objection personal to me, or to assassins as a class? In the first case, I'll remember to make a private project of you, as soon as I'm through with my present employment. If it's the latter, I'll report your attitude to the society. I'll see what Clarnud, our President-General, thinks of your views." A crowd had begun to accumulate around the table. Some of them were persons in evening dress, some were assassins on the hotel payroll, and some were unattached assassins. "'Well, you won't have far to look for him,' one of the latter said, pushing through the crowd to the table. He was a man of middle age, inclined to stoutness. He made Verkenval think of a chocolate figure of Tortha Karf. The red badge on his breast was surrounded with gold lace, and instead of black wings and a silver bullet it bore silver wings and a golden dagger. He bowed contemptuously at Marnarch of Bashad. Clarnud, President-General of the Society of Assassins, he announced. Marnarka Bashad, did I hear you say that you considered members of the society as unworthy to negotiate an affair of honor with your friends, on behalf of this nobleman who has been courteous enough to accept your challenge? he demanded. Marnarka of Bashad's arrogance suffered considerable evaporation loss. His tone became almost servile. Not at all, honorable assassin president, he protested. But, as I was going to ask these gentlemen to represent me, I thought it would be more fitting for the other gentlemen to be represented by personal friends also. In that way, sorry, Marnark, the gray-haired man at the table said. I can't second you. I have a quarrel with Lord Verzal, too. He rose and bowed. Sirzab of Abo. Inasmuch as the Honorable Marnark is a guest at my table, an affront to him is an affront to me. In my quality as his host, I must demand satisfaction from you, Lord Verzal." "'Why, gladly, Honorable Sirzab,' Verkenval replied. This was getting better and better every moment. "'Of course, your friend, the Honorable Marnark, enjoys priority of challenge. 
I'll take care of you as soon as I have, shall we say, satisfied him." The earnest and rather consecrated-looking young man rose also, bowing to Verkan Vall. "'Years all of Narva. I, too, have a quarrel with you, Lord Virzal. I cannot submit to the indignity of having my food snatched from in front of me, as you just did. I also demand satisfaction.' "'And quite rightly, Honorable Yerzal. Verkenval approved. It looks like such a good soup, too, he sorrowed, inspecting the front of Marnock's tunic. My seconds will negotiate with yours immediately. Your satisfaction, of course, must come after that of Honorable Sirzob. If I may intrude, Clarnud put in smoothly, may I suggest that as the Lord Verzal is represented by his assassins, yours can represent all three of you at the same time. I will gladly offer my own good offices as impartial supervisor." Verkenval turned and bowed as to royalty. "'An honor, assassin-president. I am sure no one would act in that capacity more satisfactorily.' "'Well, when would it be most convenient to arrange the details?' Carnude inquired. "'I am completely at your disposal, gentlemen.' Why, here and now, while we're all together, Verkenval replied. I object to that, Marnak of Bashad vociferated. We can't make arrangements here. Why, all these hotel people, from the manager down, are nothing but tipsters for the newscast services. Well, what's wrong with that? Verkenval demanded. You knew that when you slandered the Lady Delona in their hearing. The Lord Verzal of Verken is correct. Clarnoud ruled, and the offenses for which you have challenged him are also committed in public. By all means, let's discuss the arrangements now." He turned to Verkan Vall. "'As the challenged party, you have the choice of weapons. Your opponents, then, have the right to name the conditions under which they are to be used.' Marnak of Bashad raised another outcry over that. The assault upon him by the Lord Verzal of Verkan was deliberately provocative and therefore tantamount to a challenge. He himself had the right to name the weapons. Clarnud upheld him. "'Do the other gentlemen make the same claim?' Verkenval wanted to know. "'If they do, I won't allow it,' Clarnud replied. "'You deliberately provoked Honorable Marnark, but the offenses of provoking him at Honorable Sirzob's table, and of throwing Honorable Yerzov's soup at him, were not given with intent to provoke.' These gentlemen have a right to challenge, but not to consider themselves provoked." "'Well, I choose knives, then,' Marnark hastened to say. Verkenval smiled thinly. He had learned knife-play among the greatest masters of that art in all paratime, the third-level Conga pirates of the Caribbean islands. "'And we fight barefoot, stripped to the waist, and without any parrying weapon in the left hand. Verkenval stipulated. The beefy Marnark fairly licked his chops in anticipation. He outweighed Verkenval by forty pounds. He saw an easy victory ahead. Verkenval's own confidence increased at these signs of his opponent's assurance. And as for Honorable Sirzob and Honorable Yerzal, I chose pistols, he added. Sirzob and Yerzal held a hasty whispered conference. Speaking both for Honorable Yerzal and for myself, Sirzob announced, 
We stipulate that the distance shall be twenty meters, that the pistol shall be fully loaded, and that fire shall be at will after the command. Twenty rounds! Fire at will at twenty meters! Olirzon hooted. You must think our principal's as bad a shot as you are. The four assassins stepped aside and held a long discussion about something, with considerable argument and gesticulation. Klarnud, observing Verkan Vall's impatience, leaned close to him and whispered, "'This is highly irregular. We must pretend ignorance and be patient. They're laying bets on the outcome. You must do your best, Lord Verzal. You don't want your supporters to lose money.' He said it quite seriously, as though the outcome were otherwise a matter of indifference to Verkan Vall. Marnark wanted to discuss time and place and proposed that all three duels be fought at dawn, on the fourth landing stage of Darsh Central Hospital. That was closest to the maternity wards, and statistics showed that most births occurred just before that hour. "'Certainly not,' Verkan Vall vetoed. "'We'll fight here and now. I don't propose going a couple of hundred miles to meet you at any such unholy hour. We'll fight in the nearest hallway that provides twenty-meter shooting distance.' Marnark, Sirzob, and Yerzal all clamored in protest. Verkenval shouted them down, drawing on his hypnotically acquired knowledge of Acorneb dueling customs. The code explicitly states that satisfaction shall be rendered as promptly as possible, and I insist on a literal interpretation. I'm not going to inconvenience myself and assassin President Klarnud and these four gentlemen assassins just to humor statisticalist superstitions. The manager of the hotel, drawn to the Martian room by the uproar, offered a hallway connecting the kitchens with the refrigerator rooms. It was fifty meters long by five in width, was well lighted and soundproof, and had a bay in which the seconds and others could stand during the firing. They repaired thither in a body, Clarnud gathering up several hotel servants on the way through the kitchen. Verkan Vall stripped to the waist, pulled off his ankle-boots, and examined Olirzon's knife. Its tapering eight-inch blade was double-edged at the point, and its handle was covered with black velvet to afford a good grip, and wound with gold wire. He nodded approvingly, gripped it with his index finger crooked around the cross-guard, and advanced to meet Marnark of Bashad. As he had expected, the burly politician was depending upon his greater brawn to overpower his antagonist. He advanced with a sidling, spread-legged gait, his knife hand against his right hip and his left hand extended in front. Verkenval nodded with pleased satisfaction. A wrist-grabber. Then he blinked. Why, the fellow was actually holding his knife reversed, his little finger to the guard and his thumb on the pommel. Verkenval went briskly to meet him, made a feint at his knife hand with his own left, and then sidestepped quickly to the right. As Marnark's left hand grabbed at his right wrist, his left hand brushed against it and closed into a fist, with Marnark's left thumb inside of it. He gave a quick downward twist with his wrist, pulling Marnark off balance. Caught by surprise, Marnark stumbled, his knife flailing wildly away from Verkan Vall. As he stumbled forward, Verkan Vall pivoted on his left heel and drove the point of his knife into the back of Marnark's neck twisting it as he jerked it free. At the same time he released Marnark's thumb. 
The politician continued his stumble and fell forward on his face, blood spurting from his neck. He gave a twitch or so, and was still. Verkan Vall stooped and wiped the blood on the dead man's clothes, another conga pirate gesture, and then returned it to Olirzon. "'Nice weapon, Olirzon,' he said. "'It fitted my hand as though I had been born holding it.' "'You used it as though you had, Lord Verzal,' the assassin replied. "'Only eight seconds from the time you closed with him.' The function of the hotel servants whom Clarnut had gathered up now became apparent. They advanced, took the body of Marnark by the heels, and dragged it out of the way. The others watched this removal with mixed emotions. The two remaining principals were impassive and frozen-faced. Their two assassins, who had probably bet heavily on Marnark, were chagrined. And Clarnud was looking at Verkan Vall with a considerable accretion of respect. Verkan Vall pulled on his boots and resumed his clothing. There followed some argument about the pistols. It was finally decided that each combatant should use his own shoulder-holster weapon. All three were nearly enough alike, small weapons, rather heavier than they looked, firing a tiny ten-grain bullet at ten thousand foot-seconds. On impact, such a bullet would almost disintegrate. A man hit anywhere in the body with one would be killed instantly, his nervous system paralyzed and his heart stopped by internal pressure. Each of the pistols carried twenty rounds in the magazine. Verkan Vall and Sirzab of Abo took their places, their pistols lowered at their sides, facing each other across a measured twenty meters. "'Are you ready, gentlemen?' Clarnut asked. "'You will not raise your pistols until the command to fire. You may fire at will after it. Ready? Fire!' Both pistols swung up to level. Verkan Vall found Zirzob's head in his sights and squeezed. The pistol kicked back in his hand, and he saw a lance of blue flame jump from the muzzle of Sirzob's. Both weapons barked together, and with the double report came the whip-cracking sound of Sirzob's bullet passing Verkan Vall's head. Then Sirzob's face altered its appearance unpleasantly, and he pitched forward. Verkan Vall thumbed on his safety and stood motionless, while the servants advanced, took Zirsab's body by the heels, and dragged it over beside Marnark's. "'All right, Honorable Yerzal, you're next,' Verkan Vall called out. "'The Lord Virzal has fired one shot,' one of the opposing seconds objected, "'and the Honorable Yerzal has a full magazine. The Lord Virzal should put in another magazine.' I grant him the advantage. Let's get on with it, Verkan Vall said. Yerzal of Narva advanced to the firing point. He was not afraid of death. None of the Acorneb people were. Their language contained no word to express the concept of total and final extinction, and discarnation by gunshot was almost entirely painless. But he was beginning to suspect that he had made a fool of himself by getting into this affair. He had work in his present reincarnation which he wanted to finish, and his political party would suffer loss, both of his services and of prestige. "'Are you ready, gentlemen?' Clarnud intained ritualistically. "'You will not raise your pistols until the command to fire. You may fire at will after it. Ready? Fire!' Verkan Vall shot Yerzal of Narva through the head before the latter had his pistol half raised. Yerzal fell forward on the splash of blood Sirzob had made, 
and the servants came forward and dragged his body over with the others. It reminded Verkan Vall of some sort of industrial assembly line operation. He replaced the two expended rounds in his magazine with fresh ones and slid the pistol back into its holster. The two assassins, whose principals had been so expeditiously massacred, were beginning to count up their losses and pay off the winners. Clarnude, the President-General of the Society of Assassins, came over, hooking fingers and clapping shoulders with Verkan Vall. "'Lord Verzal, I've seen quite a few duels, but nothing quite like that,' he said. "'You should have been an assassin.' That was a considerable compliment. Verkenval thanked him modestly. "'I'd like to talk to you privately,' the assassin-president continued. "'I think it'll be worth your while if we have a few words together.' Verkenval nodded. "'My suite is on the fifteenth floor above. Will that be all right?' He waited until the losers had finished settling their bets, then motioned to his own pair of assassins. As they emerged into the Martian room again, the manager was waiting. He looked as though he were about to demand that Verkan Vall vacate his suite. However, when he saw the arm of the President-General of the Society of Assassins draped amicably over his guest's shoulder, he came forward, bowing and smiling. "'Larnorm, I want you to put five of your best assassins to guarding the approaches to the Lord Virzal's suite,' Clarnut told him. "'I'll send five more from Assassin's Hall to replace them at their ordinary duties.' and I'll hold you responsible with your carnate existence for the Lord Verzal's safety in this hotel. Understand?" "'Oh, yes, Honorable Assassin-President. You may trust me. The Lord Verzal will be perfectly safe.'" In Verkenval's suite above, Clarnut sat down and got out his pipe, filling it with tobacco lightly mixed with Zerfa. To his surprise, he saw his host light a plain tobacco cigarette. "'Don't you use Zerfa?' he asked. "'Very little,' Verkenval replied. "'I grow it. If you'd see the bums who hang around our drying sheds on Venus, cadging rejected leaves and smoking themselves into a stupor, you'd be frugal in using it, too.' Clarnu nodded. "'You know, most men would want a pipe of fifty percent, or a straight Zerfa cigarette, after what you've been through,' he said. I'd need something like that to deaden my conscience, if I had one to deaden," Verkenval said. As it is, I feel like a murderer of babes. That overgrown fool, Marnark, handled his knife like a cow-butcher. The young fellow couldn't handle a pistol at all. I suppose the old fellow, Zirzob, was a fair shot, but dropping him wasn't any great feat of arms, either." Clarnud looked at him curiously for a moment. You know, he said at length, I believe you actually mean that. Well, until he met you, Marnark of Bashad was rated as the best knife-fighter in Darsh. Sirzob had ten dueling victories to his credit, and young Girzal four. He puffed slowly on his pipe. I like you, Lord Virzal. A great assassin was lost when you decided to reincarnate as a Venusian landowner. I'd hate to see you discarnated without proper warning. I take it you're ignorant of the intricacies of Terran politics?" To a large extent, yes. Well, do you know who those three men were? When Verkenval shook his head, Clarnud continued. Marnark was the son and right-hand associate of old Mirzark of Bashad, the statisticalist party leader. 
Sirzab of Ebo was their propaganda director, and Yirzal of Narva was their leading socio-economic theorist, and their candidate for executive chairman. In six minutes, and with one knife-thrust and two shots, you did the Statisticalist Party an injury second only to that done them by the young lady in whose name you were fighting. In two weeks there will be a planet-wide general election. As it stands, the Statisticalists have a majority of the seats in Parliament and on the Executive Council. As a result of your work and the Lady Delona's, they'll lose that majority, and more, when the votes are tallied." "'Is that another reason why you like me?' Verkenval asked. Unofficially, yes. As President-General of the Society of Assassins, I must be non-political. The Society is rigidly so. If we let ourselves become involved, as an organization, in politics, we could control the system government inside of five years, and we'd be wiped out of existence in fifty years by the very forces we sought to control," Clarnoud said. But personally, I would like to see the Statisticalist Party destroyed. If they succeed in their program of socialization, the society would be finished. A socialist state is, in its final development, an absolute total state. No total state can tolerate extra-legal and paragovernmental organizations. So we have adopted the policy of giving a little inconspicuous aid, here and there, to people who are dangerous to the statisticalists. The Lady Delone of Hadron and Dr. Hanash of Hosh are such persons. You appear to be another. That's why I ordered that fellow Lornorm to make sure you are safe in his hotel." "'Where is the Lady Delona?' Verkenval asked. "'From your use of the present tense, I assume you believe her to be still carnate.' Clarnud looked at Verkenval keenly. "'That's a pretty blunt question, Lord Verzal,' he said. "'I wish I knew a little more about you. When you and your assassin started inquiring about the Lady Delona, I tried to check up on you. I found out that you had come to Darsh from Gama, on a ship of the family of Zorda, accompanied by Brarnand of Zorda himself. And that's all I could find out. You claim to be a Venusian planter, and you might be. Any Terran who can handle weapons as you can would have come to my notice long ago. But you have no more ascertainable history than if you'd stepped out of another dimension. That was getting uncomfortably close to the truth. In fact, it was the truth." Verkan Vall laughed. "'Well, confidentially,' he said, "'I'm from the Arcturus system. I followed the Lady Delona here from our home planet, and when I have rescued her from among you Solarians, I shall, according to our customs, receive her hand in marriage. As she is the daughter of the Emperor of Arcturus, that'll be quite a good thing for me.' Clarnud chuckled. You know, you'd only have to tell me that about three or four times, and I'd start believing it," he said. And Dr. Harnash of Hosh would believe it the first time. He's been talking to himself ever since the Lady Delona started her experimental work here. Lord Verzal, I'm going to take a chance on you. The Lady Delona is still carnate, or was four days ago, and the same for Durzid. They both went into hiding after the discarnation feast of Garnon of Roxor to escape the enmity of the statisticalists. Two days after they disappeared, Durzid called Assassin's Hall and reported this, but told us nothing more. 
I suppose, in about three or four days, I could re-establish contact with him. We want the public to think that the statisticalists made away with the Lady Delona at least until the election's over." Verkan Vall nodded. "'I was pretty sure that was the situation,' he said. "'It may well be that they will get in touch with me. If they don't, I'll need your help in reaching them.' "'Why do you think the Lady Delona will try to reach you?' "'She needs all the help she can get. She knows she can get plenty from me.' Why do you think I interrupted my search for her and risked my carnate existence to fight those people over a matter of verbalisms and political propaganda?" Verkan Vall went to the newscast visiplate and snapped it on. We'll see if I'm getting results yet. The plate lighted, and a handsome young man in a gold-laced green suit was speaking out of it. Where he is heavily guarded by assassins. However, in an exclusive interview with representatives of this service, the assassin Hirzif, one of the two who seconded the men the Lord Virzal fought, said that in his opinion all of the three were so outclassed as to have had no chance whatever, and that he had already refused an offer of ten thousand system monetary units to discarnate the Lord Virzal for the Statisticalist Party. When I want to discarnate, Hirzif the assassin said, I'll invite in my friends and do it properly. Until I do, I wouldn't go up against the Lord Verzal of Verkan for ten million SMU." Verkan Vall snapped off the visiplate. "'See what I mean?' he asked. "'I fought those politicians just for the advertising. If Delona and Dirzid are anywhere near a visiplate, they'll know how to reach me.' Hirzef shouldn't have talked about refusing that retainer,' Clarnud frowned. That isn't good assassin ethics. Why, yes, Lord Verzal, that was cleverly planned. It ought to get results. But I wish you'd get the Lady Delona out of Darsh, and preferably off Terra as soon as you can. We've benefited by this so far, but I shouldn't like to see things go much further. A real civil war could develop out of this situation, and I don't want that. Call on me for help. I'll give you a code word to use at Assassin's Hall. End of Part 3